In response to the sermon, we will sing from Psalter 204. Psalter 204, all the stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to turn with me again in your Bibles to John 10, verses 7 through 10. Our focus this morning is on these verses, and especially Jesus' comparison of himself to a door, in particular the door of the sheep, of a sheep pen. Now maybe, I don't know if there are any sheep farmers in this congregation, maybe you are not familiar with a sheep pens and the doors of sheep pens, but we are all familiar with doors, aren't we, in general? Most likely, you have used at least six doors this morning. Your bedroom door, your bathroom door, the door out of your house, the door into your vehicle, the door into this building, and the door into this very room. The doors are familiar to us. And maybe we've never asked the question because they're so familiar, but what are, what are doors really for? What is the basic function of a door? Well, the answer is, is it not to, to let us in? Doors let us in to, to places or to people that are otherwise separated from us. And in that way, Christ comparing himself to a door, also the door of a sheep pen, is a picture of what he came to do. You see, congregation, he came to deal with your and my greatest problem. He came to deal with our separation from God. Not separation from God's presence per se, because of course he is everywhere present, the Bible teaches that, but separation from fellowship and friendship with God. The Bible makes clear that we were made to enjoy this fellowship and friendship, this relationship with the Lord, but, but we lost that ability. We lost that privilege by the fall into sin. Because of Adam's sin and because of our own personal sins, there is a wall between us and God. And so we need a door to God. Because without a door, we are separated from him. And that's why our text for this morning, John 10, verses 7 through 10, is so important and so precious. Let's read those words again, John 10, verses 7 through 10. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Congregation, these verses teach us, don't they, that there is a door to God. That door is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him that we may and we must enter to enjoy fellowship and friendship with God. And so our theme today with this text is simply Jesus' words, I am the door. And with God's help, we will see three perspectives on these words. First, what a solemn claim. Second, what a wonderful blessing. And third, what a gracious provision. 
I am the door. What a solemn claim. What a wonderful blessing. And what a gracious provision. Well, why is it such a solemn claim? If you look with me again at the verse, first few words of our text, John 10, verse 7, Jesus says there that, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I wonder, children here, can you tell me what words does Jesus use here that tells you that this claim that he makes is so important, so solemn. It's these, isn't it? Verily, verily, I say unto you. That little expression, that little saying that Jesus uses, and he uses it in verse 1 of the chapter when he begins that parable as well, it's a clue that what he's about to say is most solemn and most all-important. Christ, he wants us, he's, by this, this, this expression, he's, he's calling us to attention. He's wanting us to understand and to remember this. That he is the door. Maybe you wonder, well, what is, what is so solemn about that claim? Well, the first solemn thing we learn here is that the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary for fellowship and friendship with God. He's not just any door. Notice what he says in the, at the end of verse 7. He says, I am the door of the sheep. It was a familiar picture to the people to whom Jesus was speaking. Sheep herding was a common activity in Israel, a common uh, business. And they would often see these, these sheepfolds, these sheep pens in the cities and, and in the country. And they would often have these, these, these walls, these stone walls to, to keep the sheep together and to keep them safe. Some pens, particularly the ones in uh, closer to the towns and cities, they would have high walls and, and an actual door which a, a doorkeeper or a porter would guard to keep thieves and robbers out and, and to let the true shepherds in. We saw something of that in the parable that Jesus spoke. He, he spoke of a doorkeeper. But, but other sheepfolds, more in the country often, had, had only just a low stone wall and, and the shepherd himself, he would act as the door. He would, he would lay in the doorway to keep his sheep safe. So the point is though that there was never a sheepfold without a door because of course in order for, for the sheep to have a relationship with the shepherd, to actually follow the shepherd, to know a shepherd and follow him, there needs to be a door because sheep of course don't climb walls or they, and they don't fly. So there is this need for the door. It was a familiar picture for the, the people living in Israel. And not just because they could see these sheep pens, but also because the Lord in His Word in the Old Testament had often compared the relationship between Himself and His people to the relationship between a shepherd and His sheep. We, we all know, don't we, Psalm 23. And perhaps maybe some of you know Ezekiel 34. These are chapters and there's other places in the Bible where the Lord compares His relationship with His people to the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And so what Christ was saying when he said, I am the door of the sheep, is he was saying to the people who were listening to him, I am absolutely necessary for you to have a relationship with God. But why does, why does he stress this? Why does he say it twice? Why does he use it, that, that solemn expression, verily, verily? But we have to remember the context, don't we? 
Jesus was speaking here to the Pharisees, or at least in the hearing of the Pharisees. And to the Pharisees, Jesus was unnecessary, and, and even worse, he was an obstacle to fellowship and to friendship with God. In chapter 9, many of them had said that Jesus was a sinner. Why? Because he had opened the eyes of a man blind from birth on the Sabbath. Eventually, those, those Pharisees had cast that healed man out of the synagogue for his insistence that only a man of God, from God, could have healed him. They excommunicated him from the flock of God as a sign of his being cut off from the fellowship with God. But the tragic irony was that they were only cutting themselves off. They thought they could see good enough without Christ, that they could be righteous without him. But Christ tells them in verse 41 of chapter 9, Now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remains. The Pharisees, you see, didn't realize how much they needed Christ. What about us? Do we view Christ as absolutely necessary for fellowship and for friendship, for a relationship with God? What is Jesus Christ to you, dear congregation? If he is dispensable, if he is merely a, a, a nice but, but ultimately unnecessary add-on, if he is an optional part of our religion or of our lives, then, then shouldn't we be asking ourselves, do, do I really know the Lord? You see, if, if we don't have Christ as our door, if he is anything less than our mediator, our sin remains. And we are living under the righteous wrath of God. Jesus Christ in his person and work is an absolute necessity for a relationship with God. He is the door of the sheep. But are there no other doors then? Well, that brings us to the second solemn thing about Jesus' claim. He is not only an absolutely necessary door, he is also the one and only door. Listen to Christ's words again. I, he says, I, no one and nothing else, am the door. The door. Not a door. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. This is what he is saying. And he, he later says it again to his disciples, doesn't he? When he says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible is... It's emphatic about this. Acts 4 verse 12. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Congregation, there can be no doors to God in place of or in addition to Jesus Christ. We sometimes can think there are other doors, can't we? But if you read through the New Testament, Again and again, door after door after door after door are what we think of as doors. We are told they are not. Ceremonies like circumcision are not doors. Dramatic, emotional, and even spiritual experiences are not doors. Ministers and other office bearers are not doors. Good works are not doors. 
Sabbath keeping is not a door. Religious zeal is not a door. Avoidance of gross and public sin is not a door. Even our Christian upbringing, being raised in a covenant home is not a door. Conviction of sin, though it may lead us to that door, it is not a door. And even faith, even faith, though it leads us through the door, it is not the door. No, no, no. Christ and Christ alone is the door. The only door to reconciliation, to fellowship, and to friendship with God. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says these words, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Yes, despite all the attempts throughout history to tear down this door, to replace it with another or to add to it, it still stands. And this brings us to the third solemn thing. He is the eternally enduring door to fellowship with God. Christ says, I am the door. He does not say I was the door. He does not say to the, to the people, I, I am now the door. He, he doesn't say, I will be the door. No, he says, I am the door. And he, congregation, our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been. He always is. And he always will be the door of the sheep. How can that be? Maybe you ask. Well, the answer is in who Jesus Christ is. Because he is not simply man. But he is God. He is the I am himself. Congregation, do you see how solemn, how weighty this is? Do you feel the weight of it? It comes with, with solemn implications too, doesn't it? Look at what Christ says in verse 8. He says, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Who are thieves and robbers? Well, verse Verse 1, when Jesus tells the parable, he explains, doesn't he? He tells us that they are those who don't enter the sheepfold by the door, but, but they climb up some other way. In the context, those thieves and robbers, the, the all who ever came before me, refer especially to the Pharisees, the ones who were rejecting Christ. Humanly speaking, they were around before Christ. And that's even how they justified their rejection of him, at least in part. In John 8, they had said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. To, to, to them, he was, he was young and he was new. They, they, with all their rules and all their traditions and all their religious heritage and all their self-righteousness, they, who were before him, were the shepherds of God's people. So they thought. But Christ, by revealing himself as the necessary, the only and the eternally enduring door exposes them, doesn't he, in their rejection of him for what they really are. Not shepherds, but thieves and robbers who in verse 10, he says, come for no other reason than to steal and to kill and to destroy. Beloved, this text lays a solemn question before all of us who are in a shepherding role in God's church. Whether that be as parents, 
or whether that be as office bearers or as teachers, as youth leaders, as counselors and mentors, or some other leading role? And that question is this. Have you, did you come in through the door? That is the question. And, and our answer, according to Christ, determines whether we are true shepherds or thieves and robbers. But notice what else Jesus says about the thieves and robbers of his day. He says, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, on the one hand, these words are a great comfort to God's elect, those who have been born again, who have been called by, by Christ and who have heard, him, heard his voice and followed him as their shepherd. It, it means that, that nothing and no one can, keep, can pluck, as he says later, can pluck him, them out of Christ's hand. But, but in the context, the, these words are primarily a, a solemn warning. A warning to the Pharisees that they had no real authority or power over God's people. They thought they had the power to expel that blind man who was healed from the synagogue. And they could, they could expel him from the synagogue, but they could not expel him from Christ. Pharisees, the thieves and robbers, have no power over God's sheep. And it's a warning though to those then who did hear those Pharisees and who followed them in the rejection of Christ. As long as they continued in that way of rejection, they had no reason, you see, to believe they were God's sheep, even if they were members of the local synagogue. Congregation, it's a warning that applies still today. If you are ignoring, if you are neglecting, if you are rejecting Jesus Christ as the only mediator, you cannot claim to have God as your shepherd. You cannot claim to be one of his sheep, no matter how religious you may be. I am the door. What a solemn and an all-important claim this is. Do you see that with me too, congregation? Oh, do not neglect this door then. Do not try to add any other doors. And do not doubt whether the door is there. No, but enter, enter the sheepfold through this door, through Jesus Christ, into fellowship and into friendship with God. Because you see, it is not only a solemn claim, but it is also a wonderful blessing. That is our second point. What a wonderful blessing. And we see this especially from verses 9 and 10 where Christ says again, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. O congregation, do you hear it? Do you see it? The wonderful blessings that are in this, through this door. In the first place, he is the door to salvation. Jesus says, he, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Oh, what a wonderful blessing, dear people of God, isn't it? To be saved. To be saved from the guilt of sin. Your, the guilt of your past sin. The guilt of your present sin. And the guilt of your future sins. To be saved from condemnation and death and the wrath of a holy God. To be saved from the dominion and the power of sin now already. And one day to be saved from the presence of sin. And from every consequence of sin that we suffer in this sad world. 
the pains and the sicknesses and the dangers and death. Do you see how wonderful it is to be saved? But to be saved means not only to be rescued from all evil, it means also to receive instead grace for grace, grace upon grace. It means to receive countless spiritual blessings in Christ. To be saved means to receive from God not only the forgiveness of sins, not only a not guilty verdict, but also a declaration that you are perfectly righteous, you are justified because the righteousness of Christ is imputed and accounted to you. To be saved, congregation, means to receive reconciliation with God, to receive new life, to be made alive with Christ, we who once were dead in our trespasses and sins. It means to be raised with him in newness of life so that we begin to live as he made us to live. To be saved means to, to, to live, begin to live in wholehearted love to God and unselfish love to our neighbor. To be saved means to receive a permanent adoption as sons and daughters of God. To be saved means to be recipients of a new relationship with the Lord that has, where we have him as our shepherd. And everything that's involved in that. Just think about that. What's involved in the care of the shepherd? Is it not his everlasting love to embrace you? His abiding presence to guide you. His perfect peace to calm you. His steadfast faithfulness to chasten and also to comfort you. His unlimited strength to uphold you. His infinite joy to receive you. His willingness to hear and to answer you. To be saved, congregation, means to receive everlasting life. A life of sweet fellowship and friendship with the Lord our God. And that begins here. And we receive it more fully in heaven and in the new creation. Oh, what a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful blessing it is to be saved, to receive all this, and to receive it not in isolation, but with others, sheep in the sheepfold with brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who have, who have come and entered through the sheep entered the sheepfold through this door, through Jesus Christ also. But there is another wonderful blessing with this door. He is the door not only to salvation, you see, but also to wonderful safety and security. The one who enters the sheepfold through Christ shall not only be saved, he shall also go in and out. Congregation, this expression, to go in and out, is, is, it, is a Hebrew expression that is a picture of, of spiritual safety, of security. Children, you may remember the, the story of, of Jericho when Israel came into the promised land and, and they approached Jericho. Do you know, do you remember what, what Jericho did? The Bible says that they shut the gates so that no one could go in or out. They went into lockdown because they had heard, you see, they had heard what God had done for Israel and they knew they weren't safe. Of course, we, we know that didn't help, don't we? It's a lesson for us that apart from Christ, there is no real safety and security. But with Christ, 
with Christ, when you have entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as the door, there is a safety. You have a safety and a security that enables you and me to go and live for God in that hostile and broken world because the almighty God himself is your keeper and he never slumbers or sleeps. Psalm 121 puts it so beautifully, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. And he is not limited to the worship service. He is not limited to the four walls of the church building. No, he is the Lord. He is the one who has made heaven and earth. He is with you not only at church and not only during your times of prayer and Bible reading, but at all times and in all places, at home, at work, at school, in the kitchen, on the road, in the nursing home, in the hospital. Yes, he is with you even on your deathbed. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says David, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Congregation, that is a safety, that is a security that the ungodly world knows nothing of. It's a spiritual safety and security that God's people have even in Ukraine right now when their homes and their towns and their cities are being bombed. Wouldn't we do well, I say this to myself, wouldn't we do well to meditate on the safety and security we have in Christ more than we do? Oh, how wonderful these blessings are, but there is one more the text mentions. Christ is the door also to satisfaction. If any man, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He shall find pasture. Well, congregation, what kind of pasture do you find when you go through this door, when you go through Christ? Do you find a dry and a barren pasture where the soil is hard and there's hardly a blade of grass to be seen? No. No, you find a green pasture as far as your eye can see, a pasture that can satisfy your every need, a pasture that can nourish and that can strengthen and that can restore your soul, a pasture full of life, even as we live in a world that's so full of death. It is the pasture of the Word of God, the written Word, so full of wonderful gospel promises and assurances and instruction and direction for God's people, pointing us ultimately to to the Word made flesh. Christ himself. Christ is the door to salvation, to safety, and to satisfaction. And don't we need him? Don't we need him also with all the dangers that we face as he describes them in verse 10? The the thief comes again. He brings up the thief. He comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now earlier we, we said that the thief is referring especially to the Pharisees, the false teachers and and certainly it refers to that but the, but the thief can be a lot closer than that can't can't he the, the thief can reside sometimes even in our own heart and, and whisper that god will only accept you if you climb the wall of your own good works or if you first learn to pray better or if you first make sure you're elect but climbing the wall congregation even if you reach the top doesn't bring you into the joy of fellowship with God. You know, in some countries, maybe some of you have been to 
South America or, or other countries, perhaps in Africa. I know in South America, there's a lot of building and houses that have concrete walls around them for security, and the walls are usually pretty high. And, and for added security, they, they embed millions of sharp pieces of glass poking straight up all along the top of the wall in, in, in concrete. So that even if someone could climb that wall, when they got to the top, they would hurt themselves badly. They would damage their, their hands. And the same thing, congregation, happens spiritually when we try to make ourselves acceptable to God by climbing this or that wall of self-effort. It doesn't work, but it only brings spiritual hurt and spiritual harm by leading us either into pride or into despair. No congregation, these wonderful blessings can only be had through Christ the door. I am come, he says in verse 10, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What does it mean to have life, congregation? It means to have these blessings. It means to be saved. It means to have the safety and security. It means to be satisfied in Christ. That is, that is life. It is a life of fellowship and friendship with God. That is what Jesus has come to give to sinners, undeserved, undeserving sinners. And that is why he has come also to us today through his word at this very moment to proclaim himself as the door, the door to these wonderful blessings that you may have this salvation, this life, and that you may have it more abundantly. There is no other life worth living but this one. But maybe you see the story, you see the wonderful blessings on the other side of it, and you are asking, how did these blessings become mine? Or, or maybe you remember a time when you enjoyed these blessings and you, you wonder, how can, I, how can I have them back? Well, this brings us briefly to our third perspective on Christ's words. And it is this, what a gracious provision. And here we want to look once more at verse 9, and especially these words. By me, if any man enter in. Congregation, Christ sets before us here the condition, the condition for enjoying these blessings and this life, this abundant life. But we need to first notice here what comes first in these words, by me, by me are the first words of this verse, also in the, in the original Greek. And that's important because, you see, we are so prone. We are so prone to put, our, put, to put emphasis on our entering instead of on Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. We must enter, of course. But our Lord puts the stress here not on our entering, but on himself, on himself as the door. By him, by me. Oh, how packed those words are with grace. By him. By him coming to this world as a little baby, where the only door we opened to welcome him was basically a barn door. By coming unto his own who received him not, by him, by his living a perfect, sinless life without a place to lay his head. By him, by him dying a sacrificial death on the cross. 
when every door, not just on earth, but in heaven itself, was shut. And he was left hanging in midair, having been made a, a sin and a curse, suffering the wrath of God alone, being forsaken by his Father in the place of sinners. So that the door might be open to us today by him. Beloved, this door is a gracious provision. None of us deserve this door. None of us ever would have asked for this door of ourselves. God, God, out of sheer grace and mercy, has himself provided the door, knowing all the while that we are, we were, and still are sinners. But who is welcome then to come through this door? Well, our text gives us the answer. You know, some doors, maybe children, you, you go with your mom or your dad to the grocery store and you maybe see these doors in the back and sometimes there's a sign over these doors that say authorized access only or employees only. But I ask you this morning, children, what sign is over this door in our text? What sign do you see? Do you see adults only? Do you see congregation only those who know their elect? Do you see only sinners who know their misery deep enough? No, what sign do you see in our text? Any man. That is what our text says. Anyone may enter this door. And that means, congregation, this door is, children, this door is open for each of you. And for each of you, dear young people here this morning. It is for each of you elderly ones here among us or listening at home. It is for you who have never entered this door before, however much and however often and however long and however horribly you may have sinned. It is for you who are bold and it's for you who are timid. Yes, it is for you who have been ignoring Christ all your life. It is even for those who up till now have been thieves and robbers. That is the grace of Christ. It is for you who have been trying to climb up some other way, trying by your own self-righteousness, your own self-effort to enter into this fold. It is for you, dear Christian, here among us, who need cleansing from a sin every single day, who so often find yourself doing nothing, it seems like, but building walls between you and God. This door is for any man, any person, so that you and I might enjoy fellowship and friendship with God. Oh, what free grace, what free grace that this door, this morning, is open to you. But how do I enter? What do I need to have? What does God require? That's the amazing thing, congregation. Nothing. The only requirement is that you enter. If any man enter in. Is not this word too so loaded, so bursting forth with grace? You may simply enter. And these blessings, this salvation, this safety and security, this satisfaction is yours. What does it mean to enter? It means to believe on and to trust in Jesus Christ. And children, sometimes maybe you've asked your parents or other people... How do I believe in Jesus? 
And that's a good question. It's an important question. And, and sometimes, I speak just for myself, it's not always easy to answer. We, we don't always, even as grown-ups, know how to answer it in a way that it's understandable as much as we try. But you see, Jesus here, he, he's able to come to your level. And he's able to, to tell you, to show you through this picture of entering in through a door what it means to believe on Jesus Christ. You can imagine, children, imagine that before you is, stand, is, is this unlocked door and, and even an open door. And, and behind this door, through this door, you can see all kinds of treasures. And, and over this door, there is a sign that, that says that all these treasures will be given to anyone who enters. Well, now, children, what would you do? What do you think you should do? Should you break in through a window? No, of course not. Of course not. The door is open, and it says you may enter. You see, that's what faith is. It's entering through Christ as the door to receive all the treasures he has promised his people. It's trusting that by his perfect life and death on the cross, he has done all the work necessary to give you those treasures. It is going forward through the door, relying on his finished work to claim the blessings that he has promised to everyone who enters. Or maybe you say, isn't faith a work then? Isn't it ultimately up to us? A congregation, faith, believing in Jesus, entering through the door is something we must do. Christ calls you to believe. He calls you to come and to enter in and to do it today. But that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that faith is a work. No, it is a ceasing. It is a resting from our works. Entering through the door simply means giving up our resistance and every other way of trying to find fellowship with God and just going to him through the one who has earned it for us. And the beautiful thing is that ultimately even that act of entering is a result of Christ himself by his word and spirit drawing you, drawing you to himself. You see, he's not only the door, but as the passage goes on to explain, as he goes on to explain, he is also the good shepherd. And he is the one who then goes and looks and seeks and brings home all the lost sheep that he has, who are not yet of his fault. And so all the glory and all the praise goes to him. Our salvation is completely soaked in grace. It is of faith, Paul says in Romans 4, that it might be by grace. Oh, let that encourage you. Let that encourage you, one and all, whatever your impossibilities, to go to Christ. Because he has said that all who come to me, I will by no means cast out. What a solemn claim. I am the door. What a wonderful blessing. And what a gracious provision. No matter how you look at a congregation, no matter what perspective you take on those words, there is every reason to enter through this door. And now I ask you, what is your response? Verse 19 says that there was a division among the Jews for Christ's sayings. Is there a division here? Well, may it not be. May it be that each and every one of us comes through the door. Because you see, one day this door will be forever shut. Then there will be no more opportunity for you to enter. 
But today, Christ's offer stands. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Oh, enter, enter then while it is still the day of salvation and grace. And dear child of God, dear children of God here among us, should we not make much use of this door? We never outgrow our need for Christ. We never outgrow our need for this mediator. It is through him that we experience and enjoy fellowship with God. He is the door. So by him, through him, let us enter into and constantly abide in fellowship and friendship with our loving God. And then one day we will, when he calls us home, that door to heaven will be opened and he will be there and he will welcome us home. Amen.